Dear friends, in Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A word from the book of Genesis, a book about foundations for our faith. Chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He called to him, Abraham. Abraham answered, I am here. God said, Now take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains there, the one to which I direct you. Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, along with Isaac his son. Abraham split the wood for the burnt offering. Then he set out to go to the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go on over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and loaded it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire pot and the knife in his hand. The two of them went on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father? He said, I'm here, son. He said, Here are the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them went on together. They came to the place that God had told him about. Abraham built the altar there. He arranged the wood, tied up Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, I am here. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looked around and saw that behind him there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. So it is said to this day, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you greatly, and I will multiply your descendants greatly, like the stars of the sky and like the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the city gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends in Christ, Was it the hardest test ever? He was born in a very small town south of Wittenberg. His father was the mayor, but died while he was very young. 
Was it the hardest test ever? When he went off to school and studied in Wittenberg, he returned during the Thirty Years' War and all of his trial and hardship to see his own house and 400 other buildings and the church burned to ashes by the Swedish army in spite of the fact that they had raised the 3,000 golden that the enemy had demanded. And later that summer, 300 of the townspeople died of the plague. Was it the hardest test ever? When he completed his training at Wittenberg, there was no pastoral call for him. Many years later, after he did get a pastoral call, he was deposed after years of faithful service because the emperor didn't want him as a pastor anymore or a preacher because of the imperial decree that said you can't say anything about doctrinal differences. And he wouldn't sign it. Was it the hardest test ever when his first child preceded him in death or the second or the third or the fourth or his wife after a very long sickness? Well, through all these trials and tests, they, which kept coming for Paul Gerhardt, probably the most popular and the most skilled, most talented Lutheran hymn writer ever. He never forgot who the God is who was testing him. Some might say that because of all those tests, he was such a good hymn writer that trials and tests brought him to beauty and to understand and explain God in song better than most. Now, Paul Gerhardt is the composer of the two hymns that we've already sung. There were 10 verses for 422, if you thought a lamb goes uncomplaining, forth was long. We could have kept going, and we didn't have to do it in English. In fact, even um, if God himself before me, him 819, even that was born out of the, the struggle of going to Berlin for the funeral of a trusted pastor there, and the impression left on him brought him to set down those words. Because Paul Gerhardt knew, Abraham knew, the faithful know the God it is who tests them. And that's something for us to consider in our trials and our tests, something to never lose sight of. Who is this God who, who tests us? Who is this God who brings me to this disease? Who is this God who allows all this family strife? Who is this God who shuts the doors on all possible employment, seemingly? Who is the God who lets my child get insulted at school? Who is the God who allows this bully to push me around at work? Because if you forget, those things could drive you to something much worse. Not temporary sufferings, but eternal sufferings. Now, if, if you need some courage, if you need some strength to remember who this God is, why, well, we just read it in Genesis chapter 22. In a time when the wicked children of Canaan lived in Moriah, 
a father and a son trudged up a designated hill known to no one except for Abraham as indicated by his God. They went up to worship. The man had a knife. The son had a a bundle of wood. And he said, Father, I'm here. We've got the wood. We've got the fire. We've got the knife. We're ready for a sacrifice, except where is the animal for sacrificing? And then one of the most beautiful lines in all of this, maybe in all of the Bible, the Lord himself will provide. It's enough for Isaac to follow his father, to build an altar on on the peak of the mountain. And as it turns out, he himself, Isaac is the offering. Willingly, he stretches out and he's bound to that altar. And it has now been the third day since the man counted his son as dead. How had it come to this very hard test? God had promised that their children, Abraham and Sarah, that that their son would be the benefit of all nations, that that this would be the continuation of a line, and not just the family line, but a, a great, gigantic group of people, numerous as the stars in the sky. He'd said this promise. He'd repeated it again. Abraham had followed his will. He hadn't done so perfectly but the promise didn't seem to make sense at first because they were all getting, they were both getting along in years, old Abraham and aged Sarah. And still in the tent, there was no pitter-patter of little feet, no cooing of little children. And then finally, when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, the Lord grants this blessing. This promise seems to be the gateway to all these other promises. And then suddenly, God says, okay, now... Here's the command, straight from heaven, give up Isaac as a burnt offering, slay him, burn his body to ashes, and do this at a location three days away. It's interesting to see what Abraham didn't do. He didn't go to his friends and seek advice you know, from his work friends. Eh, I heard this from God. I, I don't really think my church is teaching it right or you know, maybe my religion's off a little bit. He didn't go and try and reason with Sarah and say, look, just kind of see it this way, and here are some cues to help, help you along why I'm taking Isaac. He didn't um, stall or delay God's command. He woke up early the next morning. He prepared everything. The word of God didn't make sense in his mind and heart, but we get very little of his emotions through it all, we simply get unquestioning obedience to the God of truth, the God of hope, the God who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, the God who loves. This was his only son, the son of the son of the promise, and the promise that seemingly would continue the faith, and this was God's command. Abraham was supposed to keep it, this awful command to bear this unbearable test, which was seemingly against God's own character. You see, in all the rest of the Bible, we don't see God doing anything like this kind of human sacrifice. This is not the God that we know. This sounds a lot more like Moloch or some of these these other gods who demanded child sacrifice. 
in order to feed them, in order to make them strong and powerful, in order to expand their borders. But that's also not what this God is about. So it's just, this is a mystery. And through it all, the writer of the Hebrews tells us, Abraham had this faithful hope and knowledge and understanding that somehow God was going to work it out. He couldn't see it. It wasn't plain in his face. God wasn't giving him any more. You might say, oh, wait a minute, God. Why don't you tell Abraham it's a test? At least then he kind of understands until you realize, wait a minute, that's, like, that's the point of a test, is that we don't necessarily know all the things that are going on or what God has in mind or all the moving parts. We do know God's word and we can stick to it and be entirely faithful to it. Modern theologians, on the other hand, they want to smooth God's word out. They want to make it nice and get all the, all the wrinkles out of it to harmonize it with human thinking so we can lean on our own understanding. That's not what Abraham did. In this biblical account, sort of at the culmination of his account in the book of Genesis, which is all about the foundations for faith, even though the message of the, of the Messiah is but a spark. There's not a lot of information yet. They don't get to see Jesus Christ portrayed as crucified on the cross, but they do know, they do know that one is coming who will redeem them from the curse of the serpent and the temptation that they fell for in the garden. And it would cost him something, but he would prevail. They do know that. And with those words of God, Abraham moves on. We might expect him to say, what? Kill my only son? Thou shalt not kill God. We expect him to say, oh, well, God must be speaking figuratively. But um, instead of looking for a more sensible, sentimental God for actual answers that might satisfy in the moment, in unequaled faith, he trusted the promise every step of the way as it grew harder and harder and harder. And then, on the top of the mountain, the angel of the Lord, who sure seems to speak like he himself is God. Sometimes we get indicators that this angel of the Lord sure seems to be a person of the Trinity, none, none less than the Son of God himself, pre-incarnate before he's come to flesh on Christmas. The angel spoke aloud, and the boy's bonds were loosed. Isaac got up and stretched out, completely alive and in complete joy because his father's hand was stayed and the obedience continued in the moment and thankfulness with the sacrifice of the only thing available to them, a ram that had certainly not by coincidence caught its horns in the bushes. Now, this is something for each of us to consider. If things are going well for you right now, and things were going pretty well for Abraham at the time. He'd been through a lot of trials and tribulations. He finally had the son of the promise. And they had made their way through the immigration sectors in Egypt and, and Abimelech and all, all those little issues that we see throughout his life. Things are looking good in the land of promise. If things are going well for you now, here's how you ought to consider that. God is preparing you for your next test. And it may be very hard. 
it won't be easy. But neither are God's promises. So build your faith on God's promises. Although they grow harder and harder and harder, there's a reason for that. Because God test, God's tests of faith will also grow harder. And in this life, when two scripture, scripture words seem to contradict each other, it's very easy to cast it off and go looking for another leader or another person who will describe it to you differently so you can reason your way through God to maybe rip out a page in your Bible, at least mentally, because it just doesn't make sense or you wrestle with it. We tend to think that if there's a contradiction in Scripture, either one of these things is wrong or needs to be smoothed over or they just both can't be true. <clears throat> and uh, we see this in real ways. Some people suggest that Holy Communion can't be the same blood and body that was pinned to the cross. It just doesn't make sense. Some people think, well, babies, even children, they can't believe. Look at them. It's a baby. It doesn't make sense. It contradicts human reason. Or that shameful figure on the cross is just a man. If he were true God, that wouldn't make sense. It contradicts human reason. But you know something about human reason? Faith. Confidence in Jesus Christ isn't built on human reason. It fails. It doesn't work. And if it is, it's waiting to be toppled by the next test. Instead, faith is built. It's constructed stone by stone, beam by beam, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And because of that, St. Paul says in Romans 4, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. About 2,000 years later, Moriah bears a different scene. The forests are gone. The city has been built up into a hill. On the top of it is a temple, and they're leading someone out. Abraham wouldn't recognize this place. He might understand a little bit with some prophetic hint who the figure is who's loaded up with timber on his way to a hill just outside the mount, outside the city. He'll die on that wood and really die, not figuratively, not by suggestion or by hope that David's reign might come back. No, he must die if the world's ransom from its sin is to take place. That figure is the lamb that God would provide. Remember Abraham's words, the Lord will provide. Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They would nail his hands to the cross. They would raise him up and he would bleed. And in the same breath, struggling, gasping for air, he would forgive. He would ask for forgiveness, not for himself, but for those around him, and for you, and for me. 
But wait, would an angel stop this? Would an angel come out of the woodwork to say, no, I didn't really mean it. Not this time. Absolutely not. For he swore that by himself, the Son of God on that tree swore by himself, by his own name, the highest kind of swearing that, that could possibly be done, the greatest oath that God himself could take that all nations would be blessed through his work there. And the work of God was to die on that cross. This, this was the hardest test ever, which faced Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He who tests you himself was tested and approved. Now you know this God. If you didn't already, you know that this is the God who has faced the very same trials, the very same tests that every sinner faced and yet was without sin. And yet for our sakes, he became sin for us. Remember him well, because on the third day, the foundations of his grave shook. The stone was rolled away and he wasn't there. Evidence that our faith was in something. Evidence that by believing as Abraham did, you are forgiven and your sins are taken away and you will be given back to your father alive for an eternity with him in glory. In the name of that God, for the sake of Jesus Christ, amen.